Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm good. Man, I'm so sleepy. I was saying to um, my friend on the way... I just kept waking up this morning, like I woke up at 2 o'clock, I woke up at 3 o'clock, and you know how every time you're like, you're so awake, it must be time to get up. No, no. But I'm good, I'm good. I was just like, oh. Okay, so there is, this thing, there is, thing, this, there is this thing called an alarm clock. No, and I if you one. have one of those, when you wake up and it hasn't gone <laughs> off yet, you know it's not time to, to wake up and so you can go back to sleep again. But sometimes I do wake up before and it just feels like the biggest victory that I'm like, yeah, I'll get up. And then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe not right now. <laughs> in a little while. How are you? How are have, you ever, have you ever got up in the middle of the night thinking it was time to get up yeah. and sort of got up and had a shower and got ready to go somewhere and realised it was like 11.30 at night? Oh, I don't know if you've – have you? I don't know if I've gone like that far. I think I've gotten up to get ready and then I'm like, oh, oh, realised and yeah, then not. It's kind of a weird feeling. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> uh, so what are you thankful for this morning? I'm thankful for this morning. Oh, well, my friend's been down, which has yes. been fantastic. Cool. Um, so that's probably number one. And also I caught up with um, another friend last night. Well, many friends. But you know that friend that you're like, we're going to catch up, we're going to catch up. And then it's like months later, you're like, we actually caught up. Yeah, so that was cool. Cool to have friends, cool to have a catch up. Mm. And nice that we can still do that here in Newcastle. Mm. Um, what are I'm you like, feeling thankful I'm for? like Melbourne and play. I'm, I'm thankful that, um, yeah, I'm kind of thankful I don't live in Melbourne right now. Mm. Really feeling for all of our um, our friends down there in Victoria. Um, and uh, yeah, prayers definitely with those guys, so... Hey uh, guys, sorry to jump in, but I've actually got something I'm thankful for oh. this morning as well. Ah, uh, go for it. Mini cooked up some <laughs> banana bread. Oh yes, we have banana I bread in the studio. And it's absolutely delicious. Yes. So loving. I was like, it could be they look like this. muffins. Loving, they are muffins, but it tastes like banana bread. So happy days, happy yeah. happy days. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, Mini. Positively different news. Let me tell you some. Let me tell you a story. Oh no. Nah, so this actually, I was saying last night, um, talking to my friend, that there is a the second largest city in Papua New Guinea is Lai? Lay? Lay. Lay. Okay, Lai. there we go. So they heard about the bushfires in Australia this year, you know, months and months ago now. Yes. But they heard Back about this. Back before it was flooding. Yeah. <laughs> Back before many things. Oh, on the distant horizons. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically they heard about the bushfires and went, this is a problem. Like, what can we do? And so a town... Merimbulla, which is in South New South Wales. Um, Merimbula. Oh, okay. Mer- <laughs> Merim- <laughs> I was like, sound it out, use your phonics. Like. <laughs> um, so they just recently have been, sorry, yeah, they received $60,000 that were raised by these guys. Basically, from lay. Mm. They received $60,000. Yeah. I didn't even know there was $60,000. Now that lay. was to the council at... Oh, I've lost the council. Um, oh, just the B- Baker Valley Council. So 50000 went to them and then 11000 went to the Rotary Club. Um, but yeah, I was like reading this story. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's insane. You go to lay and it is so poverty stricken. No, exactly. Exactly. You know, these guys are really doing it tough. There's a lot of people there that are literally living from hand to mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And so this... Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that I didn't know there was $60,000 there. But you kind of feel that way when you go there. Mm. You know, I've been to like, and it's just, you just get that feeling there's there's no currency in this town. Yeah. 
that, that people are not using currenting. They're bartering. They're like swapping stuff. <laughs> it's but, literally what is happening a lot of the time. I mean, yeah, there's currency, but mm. um, it's just, yeah, yeah, massive poverty. Yeah, so this chick, Sheila Hero, I'm going to say, saw pictures of the fires in the news, like, yeah, back, back when. And started a bushfire appeal. She had like young people like pushing wheelbarrows down the street. They were just like, and they just collected from anyone. So like some local businesses contributed, you know, probably a lot more than locals. And it wasn't a city, so maybe people have more, maybe not. Um, like local youth groups and schools, like all just chipped in, raised a bunch, yeah, a bunch of this money. And exactly what you said though, so many people earn like less than a dollar a day or like ridiculously low amounts, but they just went. You know, we were moved with our heart that we needed to do something, so we want it to be received with the heart. And I was, ah. Oh. You know, it's almost embarrassing for us in Isn't Australia it? because we're such a wealthy country and Papua New Guinea is only four kilometres from Australia mm. and it is such a poverty-stricken company country. Mm. And we have been supporting them financially for pretty much the last 100 years. Oh. You know, um, and, and for them to turn around and say, you know what, we're going to help out Australia. Yep. We're, we're going to do something for Australia. And this is just, you know, a local city they're in Papua New Guinea and they're like, we're going to do something. That's just, it's just, and it's, wow. And the fact that it's grassroots level, I think is really yes. important because it's so easy to go, oh, it's the government's job to do, do, do. But it, I think it's actually when you feel it personally that big change happens because mm-hmm. you get that fire in your belly of like, okay, I'm going to talk to people. Hey, you jump on board, come with me. You know, like there's, there's just something that happens when you're not demanding that someone else take responsibility for something. Even if it isn't something that's your responsibility, but that things happen that you're like, that was unexpected. <laughs> yeah, yes, um, yes, indeed. Yeah, and so and so the Rotary Club, um, one of the guys who was there, Andy Thorpe, said he feels a huge responsibility to honour the people who have donated for obvious reasons, that he was like, we didn't expect that. We definitely didn't expect it from these guys, you know. Um, so I just thought that was a really cool story. I was like, oh, bless you guys. And we need to pray for Papua New Guinea. got a story uh, that I've got prepared. I think I will share this story. Now that you've done Papua New Guinea, I'm going to talk about Papua New Guinea in my section. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, because they are facing a COVID crisis over there. So we oh. need to keep them in prayer. And their approach to it is kind of unique because it's a, well, it's a country that has to choose between COVID or starvation. <gasps> yep. That's the, those are their two choices pretty mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk more about that um, coming up soon. What else you got there for uh, positive news this morning, Minnie? Okay, well... So a 10-year-old boy recently, I just find this interesting. Um, so a 10-year-old boy, Ravi, in the UK, um, sort of on the what's it called? East Coast. On the East Coast, he was at a beach with his dad and they go into the water a bit too deep, he gets swept out and he's like fully panicking. He's like, oh, that's it. The dad's like, oh, that's it. Um, he had seen, he's a big fan of a BBC show, like a documentary series called Saving Lives at Sea. And they just have like this float to live technique, which is essentially just like lying on your back with your arm, like just being a big old starfish in the water. Yep. Essentially. Uh huh. Yeah. And so he remembers this, does this, and he was like, oh man, sometimes the waves were so strong, like my whole body went out. It took me like 10 seconds to get back to the, you know, top. Um, But he was in in the water for like an hour. Like couldn't swim. He just started weekly swimming lessons. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this, this, this kid like can't swim. Yeah. Um, and so his dad tried to save him, but like, they, I don't, they said they were like in the water and then they just got too deep and shh, away he goes. And, um, the it's dad hard to imagine people that don't know how to swim, you mm. know, when you grow up in Australia mm-hmm. and whatnot, everybody swims and, and then I meet immigrants who come to Australia and they don't know how to swim and it's like, what? Yeah. It's know? a complete mystery. Uh huh. 
I had to start swimming lessons, just a bit of side note, but I had to start swimming lessons when I was 18 months old because my we lived with my grandparents and they had a dam on their property. So, of course, being like the youngest of like many cousins who all hung out, if they went in the water, I was going in the water. So my sister, cousin and I, we were like going and my mom came down one time and she's like, you're letting them in the water, like you'll lose them. Like the water is muddy. Anyway, so very early, I <laughs> started swimming lessons. I started but- swimming lessons at 18 months old because uh, my family likes to go sailing. Ah. Like if he goes over the side, he's got to be able to swim. So he has to be able to swim. I was 18 months and in the pool. I actually Absolutely. remember it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. But yeah, I just thought it was a cool story of a guy who has clearly seen something. You know, there's a lot of useless things you can watch on TV. <laughs> like just you're wasting your time. But this was a good one. This one. And they were like, yeah, it probably saved, saved his, his life. life. Um, and because part of the section that says, you know, once just don't, if you cannot panic about the cold water, because UK is cold. Ooh, like that's yeah. a whole new level of like, absolutely, and so that's that's not just I can't swim, but I'm also freezing now. Yes, um, so, and float to live mm-hmm. is a really good technique, but it's not going to keep you warm. No, no, but yeah. So they found him after about an hour. So again, an hour in the water. That's that's pretty rough. He obviously he's like I've had a second chance at life. I'm like yeah, you go. Like, but um, yeah. So I think. Um, He's yeah, because after an hour with you know a kid that can't swim, they would have pretty much been like, yeah. well, you know, we're just looking for a body or whatever. Yeah. And here they find the kid alive. That's mm. just. He was about a kilometre offshore, which that's like pretty far in ocean if, terms. If you're yeah? if you're laying on your back in the ocean and looking towards shore, and mm. the shore is a kilometre away, nowhere close. That is a long, long mm. way away. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're not. So discouraging. You're not going to swim that <laughs> yeah. ever. You know, I'm well. Some like experts can. I would never swim that. <laughs> I would, I would, uh, yeah. No, that, praise God, what a great story. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's so nice and hopeful because it could have been not, but it is. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Anyway, joining us on the phone this morning is David Haupt, who uh, is doing a series with us on emotional health, particularly dealing with uh, pain in the past and shame that we um, attach to ourselves due to that pain. Uh, this morning, um, David is going to really, you know, we've, we've looked at how that pain shapes our lives and, uh, and the associated shame. But, you know, how do, you, how do we deal with our pain, um, the pain of the past, now that it is past, now that it is in the past? So our pain is in the past. How do we stop that affecting our lives from here on in? David, what can you share with us this morning to help us out with this question? Good morning to you and to your listeners. So often we find in the in the counselling room people that are embattled by their past. They held back. They they are concrete. And even research shares with us that um, if a dramatic event has taken place, that it would be like an anchor that's been, uh, or rather a stake that's been hit into the ground and attached to our legs and we'll try to move away from it. But as we try to move away from it, stress would build up and eventually it would catapult us back to that. And we see the cyclical, emotional and uh, psychological struggle that people have sometimes throughout of their life. And as you correctly asked the question, how can I then deal with the past now that it's part of my past? Okay, so we've got a stake in the ground with a chain around it and that's chained to our leg. Would it be fair to say that that, that chain is a rubber chain so it'll stretch, stretch, stretch and then launch us and, you know, backwards like a rubber band? 
That is exactly what um, the French researcher Jeanette says, that uh, it will stretch, but you will reach a point where you can't take a step further because it will catapult you right back. It will pull your feet from under you. And that is the experience that so many of our people face in life. That, that's the experience that I faced. And I was confronted um, with this text in Romans 8.28 as I was dealing with an enormous pain of a loved one brutally uh, being killed. That Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, that's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Just an incredible promise right there. I'm sharing that promise with a young mother that just discovered that her father is sexually abusing her daughter. She's a Christian and she just explodes as I share that text with her. But I just wonder, if Scripture is true, how can this text be true also in our life? Particularly in a circumstance like the one that you've just described, I can imagine that someone in that situation would say, that's impossible. Exactly. And that is the point. Humanly speaking, it's, it is impossible because what, what humanistic psychology therefore says is go and stand every morning in front of the mirror, look at the person looking back at you and say to yourself, good morning, Ansem. Ain't the world a great place to have you around? But tonight in the darkness and in the loneliness, I know that that is fake. There needs to be a super, uh, supernatural intervention in our life. So and rather than trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we reach up to an outside source of power. Is that what you're saying? Up to this point uh, in our discussions every morning, we've discovered that the natural response is for human beings to look at others to derive their worth and value from others' behavior towards us. We've discovered so far that whatever people will give us is just reflective of where they are at in their own life. We need a more solid, stabler, source of worth and value to speak our worth. And I would like to propose that the only person that can do that is God. Mm, mm, so, absolutely. So therefore, what does God say about me at the time of pain in my life? Um, I'm, I'm turning to the book of Ephesians in my Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. And there, verse 10, just after Paul has shared the gospel, the good news that is free gift out of the hand of God, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word that is translated as created in the original text really can say that we have been crafted in Christ Jesus. I would like to propose to our listeners that that crafting takes place primarily at very painful moments in our life. Now, let me ask you this question. When do we learn the most? When things are going well or when we go through struggles in our life? Yeah, it definitely is when we go through struggles because when things are going well, your, your, your brain really does go into free will mode. Um, and it's just like it's in neutral coasting down the hill. Uh, it, it doesn't actually really 
engage significantly unless there is a challenge to engage the brain? So Jeremiah writes a wonderful promise to the Israelites, and it's a promise that as Christians we often share with each other. He says here in Jeremiah 29 and there verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, where was Israel at the time that this promise was given? Yeah, well, they were in Babylon. They were in Babylonian captivity. Oh, not, not, not on holiday? No, not exactly. Not exactly. Yeah, they, they weren't there by choice. They were slaves. So they were in a very painful moment of their history in captivity. And this was kind of and like the is, second time around for them because they'd been in Egyptian captivity and that was an event that had seared itself into the national self-conscious so that they always saw themselves as a free people and now they've lost that. And it is during this painful time that God sends a message to them and he says, the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and hope. Now, remember now the story of the young mother that just discovered her, that her father is sexually abusing her, her child. She's very much in captivity. She very much is is looking at that behavior and is angry because how can Romans 8.28 says and all will work for good. It is interesting that the word in Jeremiah that is translated as future is different to the way that we understand future. In our Western culture, when I talk about future, I look straight ahead of me, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. But the word aharit in the Hebrew actually means that I need to look back in order to discover how God is preparing my future for me. Oh, that's so significant because that shows the the value of understanding history to be able to understand. The, so, so in other words, if you want to understand the, the future, you've got to understand the past. So so let's combine Romans 8.28 and Ephesians 2 verse 10 and, and say to ourselves, is it therefore possible that in the greatest pain of my life, which God doesn't bring upon me, but he allows in my life, God in actual fact is busy crafting me for a very specific calling, a very specific mission, a very specific task that he has for me. Yeah, that's a that's that's a significant that's a very significant thought right there. And I'm just sort of sit, sit here and think, you know, and I can look back through my past and and suddenly I'm asking myself a whole bunch of questions about, okay, did God have a plan in mind when some of the tragedies in my past took place? So in other words, when major tragedy takes place in our life, we stand in front of a choice. We can either allow that to define who we are, especially if injustice takes place. We so often allow it to define us, or we stand in front of a choice of searching for deeper meaning in that and then to reframe it into something positive. Okay, so how do we go about actually doing that? How do we reframe 
uh, a really truly horrific event into something positive. I mean, how would how would this girl that's been abused? How would she be able to reframe that into something? Yeah, because I think positive? I think we're getting into like a dangerous territory. Because I've heard, I've I've had a, a young um, sister, uh, like sister in Christ, say to me, "How dare people say that this was part of God's plan? Part of God's plan that I was abused? If this was, if this is how God teaches me, I don't want nothing to do with God." Exactly. So it's a it's a it's That's, a dangerous ground to be walking on to say this was part of God's plan to teach us. That is exactly, and friends, this is exactly the point where I struggled in my life. Why the injustice that I went through? This is, I'm, I'm not just sharing something out of a textbook. I'm sharing this out of personal experience. And I struggled as I opened my Bible to the last chapter of the book of Genesis. And I read the story of a man that has been abused and treated unjustly by his brothers. He has been sold as a slave. You know who I'm talking about. Mm, Joseph. Joseph. He has has the right to be angry. He has the right to feel where was God when all of this injustice took place. Now, in the final chapter, they just buried their their, their father and there is nothing that can hold him now back from taking revenge on his on his brothers and they they know that and they send messengers to, to him saying to him please dad said before he died forgive us don't harm us and my bible says that joseph wept they eventually come and they fall in front of him and they they confess and they say we will be your servants for the rest of our days And Joseph in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 50 says, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? You see, retribution and and the need to get revenge is so strong in us as human beings, but that only enslaves us more. But then he takes in verse 20 the next step. He says, but as for you, Listen how he speaks the truth therapy. He says, you meant evil against me. He doesn't say forgiveness does not mean that there's not going to be consequence, that what you've done is okay. But Joseph says what you've done was wrong. But, and here comes the reframing in Joseph's life. He says, God meant it for good. Which text does that remind me of? Romans 8 28. God meant it for good in order to bring it as it is this day to save many people alive. He discovers in his greatest pain a missional calling, a reframing. And as I share this with this young mother, she, she goes away, prays about this, and struggles with God, and walks into my office two weeks later. And the moment she walks in, I can see that the weight is lifted. And I ask her the question. I said, what happened to you? Where are you coming from? She said, I've just signed up. I'm sharing the story with her permission. She said, I've just signed up for a new course at university. I said, I thought you were already a registered nurse. She said, yes, I am, but I've just signed up for social welfare, to which I ask, to do what with? She said, my greatest pain has become my calling. 
I want to become Australia's best nurse slash social worker working with women who's been sexually abused. My experience is not the pain of my, of my life anymore. It now has become my mission or calling. That's an incredibly powerful story, um, David. Thank you so much for sharing that and really challenging all of us to relook at our past and our past experiences and to reframe that in a positive light. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Now it is time for... What is it time for? No, it's not time for. Oh. Can we do it now? Question of the day. Looks like we can. All right, so this person is terrified about the mark of the beast. The biocell component makes me feel like I won't be able to survive or care for my kids during this time, any direction, is truly appreciated from the bottom of my heart. Okay, so coming through from a listener right here, let's go over to Psalms chapter 91. And what's interesting is that the mark of the beast is an event that takes place just before the return of Christ. Mm. And just before the return of Christ, you also have the last plagues. The mark of the beast precedes those plagues. And so the question kind of, this, this question kind of goes together because it's all right, okay, how do you survive the mark of the beast? And also, how do you survive the plagues? Mm. Uh, there are some people who say, oh, you know, the Lord's just going to take us out of the world before the plagues fall. No, the Bible doesn't actually say that. I challenge anyone to find that for me anywhere in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is very specific that God's people are here during the plagues. Yes. Okay, so uh, then what happens? Does this mean that God's people are going to starve in mass? Does this mean that the plagues are going to be poured out on God's people, that God is going to pour plagues on his people? How does this work and where do we find safety during times such as this. The answer is found in Psalms chapter 91. And for those of you who are dealing with stress and anxiety over the issue of the mark of the beast, uh, my recommendation would be to memorize this passage right here. Okay, it begins this way by telling you exactly where you can hide when the mark of the beast is enforced or when the plagues come. In verse 1, he that lives in the secret place of the Most High shall live under the shadow of the Almighty. Mm. There is only one place that you can find safety at the end of time, and that is in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Jesus Christ, then you have nothing to fear. Mm. The only thing that you're ever going to need to fear is losing your connection with Jesus Christ. And if you have that connection, you have that strong connection, he will guide you through that. The Bible goes on to say, A thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but no plague is coming anywhere near where you are living. That's a great promise. That's a great so message. Yeah. So think about this. The Bible's telling us you will see the plagues. You will see people dying in droves around you as a result of the seven last plagues. You know, the, the seven last plagues are on a scale unlike, you know, COVID is just like a blimp compared to. Uh, what the Bible speaks about in the future. But COVID is a little bit of a wake-up call mm -hmm. because it shows what's possible and it should help us to realize that our total reliance needs to be on Jesus Christ. The Bible says these are not going to come anywhere near your living place. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Great promise right there. Memorize the whole chapter. Repeat it to yourself often 
and your anxiety will vanish away. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.